you have a Bible, turn back to Psalm 24, the 24th Song of the Psalter. You know Psalm 23. Today you get acquainted with Psalm 24. Oh, I could feel the excitement in the hallways this morning. It's not quite Easter anticipation levels, but surely our annual stewardship sermon is a very close second. Our ushers are prepared to bring chairs in. We're expecting an overflow crowd. It's your favorite, I know, and well, we'll have a lot of rewatches online and the duplicators ready for all the DVD orders that we're anticipating from the sermon this morning. We know for you it's a very big day, so I'll try to deliver. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and all that it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The Living Bible translated it this way, the earth belongs to God. Everything in all the world is his. He is the one that pushed back the oceans and let dry land appear. Psalm 24, like Psalm 23, is ascribed to David. The psalm begins with a confession that God is creator. Playing in the background, we hear the music from the very first words of the Torah. In the beginning, God created and the heavens and the earth. All creation has its origin with God. And therefore, it all belongs to him. The fullness or all therein belongs to God. It all is his. And we know through the Apostle Paul, through the New Testament, and John as well, but I'll, I'll select Paul, that all came into being by God through Christ. For by Christ all things are created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Characteristically, the first emphatic Hebrew word is the Lord's in verse 1, and he in verse 2. The Lord's, the earth and all it contains. He is the one who founded it upon the seas. God is dominant in these first two verses. All the things at our disposal, our houses, our hobbies, our bank accounts, our boats, our motorcycles, our motorhomes, our clothes, and our cars, they all belong to Christ. For he created us with the energy and the intellect to empower us to produce, not from nothing, but from what he himself has already made, our strength, our will, our intelligence. Not only does he own all the fullness of the earth, but he possesses all the creatures of the earth too, the world and all those who dwell. Yes, not just the things, but all the creatures too. Psalm 100 says, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves, for we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. Sometimes we confuse a stewardship sermon with a pep talk about generosity and might get uncomfortable, but stewardship is about God owning not only all you have, but he also owns you too. Point number one, we must be good caretakers, good stewards of our financial resources. 
We must be good caretakers, good stewards of our financial resources. The first thing the Bible ever says about stewardship is right here in Psalm 24 because he's echoing the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created, God made it, it's his, whatever it is. Ever buttoned a shirt and you get the first button off and you realize at the end you're off all the way down? I do it when I'm in a hurry. When I'm really trying to hurry, you don't pay attention and you get off. Now, you don't feel the anxiety, and I'm not trying to make you anxious, but I'm baptizing in the next service. And the reality is, unlike the preachers of old, I'm really in that water. I really do get wet. I really do have to change between that one hymn and that one chorus and make it around here. One Sunday, I would buttoned all my buttons. I looked down. They were all off all the way down. I either had to come out here with the buttons a row or take the chance. I had 20 seconds before Dan says, it's time for the children to join the pastor at the front. Now you'll be anxious, won't you? There may be no pastor right there one Sunday. Dan makes it tighter and tighter, I think, on purpose. It's really, really hard. And so I had 20 seconds to rebutton all the buttons, put on the time, put on the microphone, run in, and come at the door at just the right time. So is the idea of God being creator and owner. Nothing else in the Bible, including stewardship, makes any sense at all if we miss the fact that God is the creator, the owner, and has full rights to all of it. God is owner, and we are stewards, managers. Stewardship is a discipline of acknowledging that God is the owner and provider of everything. We are simply obediently returning a portion that really is already His. The idea of stewardship is that in giving our 10%, we're reminded that God really cares about and owns the 100%. He owns it all. And how we use all of our financial resources set before us is important. Not just take off God's 10, we can do whatever we want with the rest. God cares about it all. A novice in Catholic religious order, Ronald Rollheiser, was taught the importance of religious poverty. He had to write ad usum, Latin, ad usum for use. In the front of every book that he got there in the religious order, he had to write, they gave him a book, ad usum, for use. They were saying to Ronald, you don't own the book, it is for your use. Well, one of the, the members of the religious order dropped out and went to medical school, and later Ronald saw him, and he looked and he saw in the front of the medical textbook, ad usum. He said, you're not in the religious order anymore. You haven't sworn to poverty. Why are you writing ad usum for use in the front of your medical textbook? He says, well, I did learn that while I was there in the religious order, that I really own nothing. In the end, we own nothing. It is all for use, ad usum. The discipline of tithing reminds us who's in charge. It certainly makes us grateful for the remainder. He allows us to manage our households, to put food on our tables, to invest for our future and our family's future. The clothes that we wear, he owns it all. The reality is, the image is, we're all Adam. God made the garden and put Adam in the garden and Eve to be stewards or managers of God's garden. It wasn't their garden. 
Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We're reminded of this same idea in the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. One servant gets five talents, one gets two, one gets one according to their abilities. The master goes away and he comes back, and the one who has five talents now has ten. The one who has two now has four. The one who has one, well, he just went and buried it in a hole in the ground. The master said to the one who doubled, the second one who doubled, well done, thou good and faithful servants, enter into the joy of the Lord. But the servant who didn't manage the money well, he said, you could at least put it in the bank, draw me a little interest. And he took the talent away from the one talent servant and gave it to the one who had ten. Jesus, maybe even more than Genesis, presents God, the master, as one who has expectations of our stewardship of all he entrusts to us. Tithing reminds us God is the owner of it all. And secondly, we are responsible for how we use all the resources God has given us. Our individual budgets must make God and God's place of worship a priority, our church a priority, second to nothing. Exodus says, bring the first fruits into the storehouse. Where does God want to be in your budget? Line item number one. God is not stingy with us, and we must not be stingy with His church. Where does our giving place, our, our giving in our, to our place of worship, the storehouse of God of Malachi? How does that rank in our budget expenditures? Is God something we think of first or last? Is it leftover? God wants to be the receiver of the first fruits. A woman had finished a tired day of shopping. She had bags in both hands. She came out to her car, and to her shock and horror, there wasn't one, but there were four men sitting in her car. She dropped her bags, pulled her gun, and said, I have a gun, and I know how to use it. Get out of the car right now. Now, those guys, they, they, were, they didn't hang around. They scrambled. They ran, left her with a car. They went, got away. And so she looked around, constantly watching to see if they were doubling back. She got in the car, and she was nervous. Her heart was racing. You can imagine having to draw your gun on four men sitting in your car. And she kept trying to get the key in the ignition, and it wouldn't go because it wasn't her car. She, <laughs> she looked up, and four places over, there was the same make, model, color, interior, exterior, and that wasn't her car. She kind of sheepishly got out of the car and looked around to see where the guys were and got in her own car and drove to the police station and turned herself in. <laughs> After she began the report, the desk sergeant just started laughing, almost fell out of his chair. He said, look down there, there's four guys reporting a car robbery, a carjacking. <laughs> they said, it's a five-foot-tall woman with gray curly hair but a really big gun. There you go. She thought it was her car, but it belonged to someone else. The truth is, your car belongs to someone else too. I don't care what the registration says. If you're a believer, your car belongs to God. God owns everything. He owned the car that she drove. He owns the car that she accidentally stolen. He owns all that we call ours. He owns owns it all.
When we confuse ourselves as owner rather than steward, we're constantly in conflict with God or what we should do with the things that we have. But when we begin to understand that God is the owner and we're like Adam of the garden, we're just a manager or a steward of what is entrusted to us, the conflict disappears and we find joy in giving to the storehouse, the place of worship, our tithe. Deuteronomy 8, 17 cautions ancient Israel. You may say to yourself, by my power and my own ability, I've gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord, your God, gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your father as it is today. In 1 Chronicles 29, they're trying to collect all the precious metals and jewels to construct the temple and the money. And David, who's getting up his own gift in 1 Chronicles 29, says, But who am I? And who are my people that we should give as generously as this? For everything comes from you, God, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. Anything you place in the offering plate, any check you write, any online gift you make, you're really only giving God what is already his, his hand. Well, there's a second thing about stewardship. Not only are we to be good stewards of our financial resources, but we are to be good stewards of our identity. The moment you say, Jesus is Lord, you become part of a covert operation. The covert operation for the kingdom of God. From that moment forward, once you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your primary responsibility is for the coming kingdom of God. Reconciling the creator with his creation bringing others into restoration and redemption. Just like God doesn't want to think of just 10% as being his, the 10% acknowledges that he owns it all, and giving it is a discipline to remind us it's his. He doesn't want 10% of your time either. God wants your mission for his kingdom to be your primary cause. I recently heard Dr. Jan Patterson define vocation as this, how we take our places as agents of God's mission to reconcile all things to God and one another, how we take our places as agents of God's mission to reconcile all things to God and one another. Your vocation is not being a banker or a baker, a lawyer or a landscaper, a mechanic or a machinist, a custodian or a car salesman, all of those are just the ways that you make your living in order to serve the kingdom of God. It requires a radically rethinking of what discipleship means. The apostle Paul was what? A tent maker, as was Prisca and Aquila. And why did they make tents? So he could go into villages and towns and preach the gospel. His, his call was to the kingdom. His job was making of tens. The reality is we're all just bivocational missionaries. That's the pattern for spreading the good news of the gospel. Your true vocation is working out your place as an agent of God's kingdom to reconcile people and to right relationship with God. God cares 
about the products we make, the companies we work for, the customers we serve. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocure, to call, the root of our word vocation. Your calling is as a member of the kingdom of God. Your job might be something else, but your calling is a missionary. And a job is only calling if you're doing it for somebody else. So whether you're plumbing or teaching or doctoring or whatever you're doing, you're doing it because God has called you to do it as a way to be an agent for his kingdom. Being faithful in the workplace means that we live and we work in such a way that our co-laborers, our co-workers might want to know more about Jesus because they see Jesus in us. Because the way we live out our life and our calling and our vocation, when they have a hurt, an uncertainty, they need help or a listening ear, they come to those who are God's. Martin Luther, Martin Luther argued that all work, whatever the vocation, secular work, is as much a calling from God as is the ministry of a monk or a priest. The way to serve God at work is to be personally honest and to share the good news of the gospel. The way to serve God at work is to do skillful, excellent job in whatever task is set before you. The way to serve God at work is to create beauty in all that you do and all that you make. A way to serve God at work is to do it with a joyful, good attitude despite the mergers and the mundane moments. The way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you possibly can and be as generous as you possibly can. Your goal at work is not self-fulfillment, but rather is service to God. You see it on the mission field. We'll send an engineer into a third country because we can't get a preacher in there. Preachers aren't allowed, but a really good engineer can get in. And the engineer knows I'm going in as an engineer, but my primary goal is to take the gospel with me. In that setting, we can see it. Or a horticulturalist is allowed into a culture that is without the Christ story. And a church planter, someone wanting to start a church, cannot go to that country. But if someone can help the farmers produce more fruit, there's an opening. So the horticulturist goes, knowing that she is helping with an apple crop in order really to bring in a harvest for the kingdom of God. A doctor is allowed into a country because of her medical knowledge where a full-time missionary could never go. Think of the work of Dr. Rebecca Naylor who served the International Mission Board whom we support. There was a time she was the only Baptist missionary in all of India. And they asked her, did you, see a did you have a conflict between the medicine and the mission? She said, absolutely not. They were always together for me. And she says, it's not just being a doctor. You have to say it too. Meeting needs alone is not going to bring people to faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're to meet their needs while we speak the word of God. We cannot separate demonstration from proclamation. In fact, what she goes on to say is this. They named the nursing school after her there. Is that wherever you are, you're a missionary too. You don't go overseas and automatically begin to live out your faith in such a way that you see your primary calling as a missionary. Your primary calling is a missionary right now, right wherever you are. 
Start sharing the good news and seeing yourself as a missionary. Before you're an insurance salesman or a bail bondsman, you are a disciple maker, a covert worker for God's kingdom. What's true with a Christian doctor in India or the farmer who's a follower of Christ in Texas, our main job, our vocation, our calling is to work out what we do for God's good for his kingdom. Our church started a new bridges program. You've heard a lot about it. It's, it's really, really good. We got groups meeting right now. There'll be more groups in the spring, but many folks have signed up. And the question Bridges asks is, how can I take my faith to my workplace? The groups gather and they study one hour a week for about seven weeks. They ask the question, why does my work matter to God? Where does my work fit into God's plan for my life? How to involve or include God in my workplace? Your vocation, your calling, your stewardship is not just your money. It's that. But it's, it's your identity. Your life, your money, you're all adusum. For God owns the earth and all that it contains. God owns the earth and all that it contains. He owns the world and all who dwell in it. Psalm 24, 1. Reader's Digest tells a story about a lady who was between flights in the airport, and she got a newspaper and a little pack of cookies, you know, the customary little pack of cookies, and she was sitting down waiting for the flights, having her snack, and she was reading the newspaper, and all of a sudden, she heard some rustling behind, right beside her. She heard that kind of rustling sound of a pack of crackers, and she looked over, and a man had reached over and gotten a cookie out of her pack of crackers. He just took one and he ate it. And she just didn't want to be rude, but she kind of wanted to reassert her authority and her ownership of those cookies. So she reached in and took the second cookie. And she ate that cookie. She thought, well, that's done it. He knows now. Well, he reached over and got another, all the gall and God's earth. He reached over and took another cookie out of the cracker. So she reached over and took another cookie out of the cracker. They were paying kind of cookie checkers back and forth with her cookies. And it got down to one cookie in the entire package. One cookie was left in the package. And the man broke it in half, ate half, and pushed the other half her way. She was so, so Man, she was fuming. And the flight attendant announced that get out your boarding passes. It's time to, to board the plane. And she opened up her purse and realized that her whole package of cookies was right there in her purse. Although God gives us things richly to enjoy, nothing is ours. You're eating somebody else's cookies too. We are always eating God's cookies. And while we complain about our rights here on earth, we complain about rights because we want to be owners. The Bible talks about responsibilities of stewards. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. To whom do you, to whom do you, and all that's been entrusted to you, belong? 
To whom do you, who are you called to serve, and all that he's entrusted to you, well, I'm smart, I worked hard, yep, he gave you the intelligence, he gave you the work ethic, you don't do anything on your own. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world is his. And all those who dwell in it. Adusum. We're just passing through and using it. We are caretakers of God's garden. We don't own a thing. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning. We're reminded that you ask us to be generous. You ask us to tithe because you want us to remember that it's really all yours. And when we ever come to that place in our life that we acknowledge that you are the owner and giver of all good gifts, it's your car, it's your cookies, it's your book, it's your bank account, we tithe with great joy, realizing we're stewards returning just a part of what you've entrusted to us. Father, some folks this morning might be struggling with their identity or their calling. Help them be reminded today, it doesn't matter if it's banker or baker, it's missionary. Wherever God has planted you, and whatever doors or windows he's opened, however he's led you, whatever passions he's given in your heart, they're all for one cause, for you to be a missionary for the kingdom of God. And all else is secondary. Amen.